We want to look at the promise of God's word and talk about the fact of Jesus' return for his church. Three of the four foundational truths of our church family that we've talked about in the past few weeks have been concerning the ministry of, of Jesus Christ, and it relates to our present day experiences. We've talked about Jesus Christ, our Savior. Today we're living out um, the, the reality of Jesus' saving grace. We talked about Jesus Christ, the baptizer in the Holy Spirit. That is a present, ongoing reality for us today. People are being filled with the dynamic of the Holy Spirit. We've talked about Jesus Christ, the healer. Healing is happening today. So the three aspects of Jesus' ministry that we've talked about that are foundational to who we are as a church family are present-day reality. We're, in other words, we're living them out. This fourth and final aspect that we want to look at this morning is, uh, is what we're looking to. So it's not what we're presently living in, but it's a reality that we are living in expectation of. And it's this, Jesus Christ is coming back for us, his church. And the fact of the second coming of Christ is, is not established by the opinion of the majority, nor is it uh, established by some theology of a last day prophet who's had too much pizza to eat. Um, the reality of Christ's certain return is established in the infallible word of God. And you've heard me say this before, but let me say it again. If we're going to establish theology, we don't want to establish theology on what someone says or what someone thinks. We want to establish sound theology on what God's word says. So this morning, we want to look at what God's word has to say about the second coming of Jesus. Look with me, if you would, to Matthew chapter 24. Jesus himself. So no one knows about that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding with a handmill. One will be taken, the other left. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Now look with me if you would to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. The church in Thessalonica was having some challenges. They had some questions as to when Jesus was going to return. What about those who, who had already died in the faith? What was going to happen to them? And they just had lots of questions. So God speaking through Paul brought this revelation of what was going to happen in the last days, in the rapture. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Verse 13, Paul says, Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who have fallen asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. Notice verse 15, according to the Lord's own word. Whose word? Okay, let's try that again. Verse 15, according to whose word? The Lord's own word. Word. We tell you that we who are still alive, who are left to the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them 
in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so it will be with the Lord, and so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. Now, we're not certain what this day is going to look like or how it might happen, but I think it might be somewhat like what you're going to see on the screen. Can we have the lights down? Let's run this video. Where are you? Ma'am, is everything okay? It's my husband. He, he's disappeared. You know what? I bet he just slipped off to the restroom while you were asleep. Would you mind checking, please? Okay, sure. And take this. Ma'am? I think he's gone off naked. I'll be right back. Have you seen the kids? Mm. Mm, Where are they? Where, where are my kids? People are missing. Dozens of seats. Empty. Patty, it's a big airplane. People are probably in the lab. I'm telling you, they're not here. They're not anywhere. Okay? Their shoes, their clothes, their glasses. Crazy. They're all left behind. The people are gone. I'll be right back. I am not nuts, Ray. Go look for yourself. Please just take your seat. Patty, help me, please. Sit down. We'll find them. I'm me next. I'm not going next. Patty, try and get a minute. Oh no. Are you okay? 
Wow. We don't know exactly what the return of Christ is going to be like. But from what I understand from God's word, passage of scripture we just read this morning, I think it's going to be something like that. One day, you're driving down the interstate. Next moment, you're gone. One day, you're making great plans about the day, about the week, about the month. The next day, you're hanging out with Jesus and it really doesn't matter. Scripture says that no man knows the time, no man knows when, yet we have this promise that, that Jesus is coming back. He's coming again for us. Looking to your sermon notes there this morning, it's very clear that the Bible teaches it. The Bible talks about the return of Jesus. The early church certainly believed it. The signs, the signs indicated. Our Lord himself said he would build his church, and he did. Our Lord himself said that he would send the Holy Spirit, and he did. He said he would come again, and I'm convinced that he will. Our role today is what? I think our role today is to live in expectancy, to live in, in readiness for his return. For again, no one knows the day, the hour, but we know that Jesus' return is imminent. According to Paul's writings in 1 Thessalonians, Jesus is going to come for his church and, and we'll be changed as we're caught up to meet him in the air. So let's talk a minute about Jesus' return. And I don't want to get into end time theology. There's so many different takes on um, different points of theology as relating to the end time. But I want to simply talk with you about about Jesus' return, about the rapture. What does it mean for us today? Let me make three statements about Jesus' return this morning. The first is this. Jesus Christ's return for those who have chosen to follow him is firmly established in the Bible. The how and the when and the minor details I think are up for discussion. I'm not going to debate those with you this morning. But Jesus' return is not up for discussion. Jesus himself promised his return as, as he was giving some final directions to the disciples just before his departure. John 14, Jesus told the disciples it was time for him to leave, to go the way of the cross. And the scripture says that the disciples were grieved in their heart. They were full of sorrow. And it's there that Jesus began to comfort them with these words. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, you can count on this. I'm going to come back. I'm going to come back that you can be, that you may be where I'm at, where I'm going. It's from that passage of scripture in John 14, I think we have two promises, a promise of preparation and a promise of reunion. Listen folks, Jesus left for a purpose. He didn't leave because he was just tired of hanging out with the disciples, he left for a purpose. The purpose was this, to go and prepare a place for you and I. I don't wanna disappoint you this morning. I mean, I grew up in the church. I remember singing the old hymns of the faith. I've got a mansion just over the hilltop. Remember singing some of those? I hate to disappoint you this morning, but I don't believe that Jesus has been in heaven for the past 2,000 years directing building projects. I don't believe he's been in heaven with a, a hammer and a nail, car, carpenter's apron there directing building projects. No, he prepared a way for us by his very blood that was shed. As he went before the Father, he says, here, here is my blood, the sacrifice to bring redemption for mankind. So he left for a purpose. A purpose was this, to prepare a place. The second promise that we find in John 14 is this. It's a promise of reunion. He told his disciples, hey, if I go, then you can count on this. I'm coming back that you might be where I'm at. Not only a promise to the disciples, but I'm convinced a promise for us today. 
So Jesus' return is firmly established in the Bible. Not only did Jesus himself promise the disciples, but you know today there's, in the New Testament alone, there's over 300 references that speaks of Christ's return. That's not talking about the Old Testament, just the New Testament alone. Over 300. You know what that tells me? It tells me that it's a pretty significant event and that God didn't want you to miss it. So 300 times in the New Testament, there's reference to the return of Christ. Second thing I would want you to know about Jesus' return is that Jesus Christ's return will come at a time only known by God. Matthew 24, verse 36 says, No one knows about that day or hour, not, even, not the angels in heaven, not even Jesus himself. Scripture says only the Father knows. Verse 42 says, Keep watch, because you, you do not know the day, you do not know the hour that the Lord will appear. So there's a bit of mystery as to when, when Jesus will return. There have been a lot of people who've made their predictions and 1842, there was a group of folks called the Millerites following a man by the name of Miller. And they, they, they were certain that Jesus was going to come between August of 1842 and August of 1843. Quit their jobs, sold their houses. About 200 plus people went on top of a mountain and they were waiting for Jesus' return. Only to be sorely disappointed because he didn't come in 1842. You may recall more recently there was a book written several years back called 88 Reasons Why Jesus is Going to Return in 1988. Guess what? They were wrong again. Why? Because no one knows the time. No one knows the day. Only the Father knows. Therefore, I think we should do three things. The first is this. As believers today, we should live with an expectancy. In Matthew 24, Jesus speaks of the return being like a, the coming of a thief at night. So that if the owner of the house had known that the thief was coming, he would have been ready. He would have been waiting. He didn't know. So that we should have this sense of expectancy. Listen, folks, it could be today. It could be tomorrow. It could be next week. It could be next month. It could be a, a generation from now. But the scripture encourages us to live with an expectancy. Secondly, I, I think because no one knows the time, or, I, I think we should live in, in a constant state of readiness. You've heard me say this before, but I live every day with my rapture shoes on. In other words, I'm ready to go. If it's today, I'm ready. If it's tomorrow, I'm ready. We need to live in this constant state of readiness. Can I just share with you a few things I do in my own life just to live in a constant state of readiness? Four things I think are really significant for our lives. The first is this, is that we would live in a, a, a continual life of worship. We got, we've got to get beyond worship being a Sunday thing to embrace a lifestyle of worship. How can you live constantly ready? Commit yourself to a lifestyle of worship. I think a second thing you can do to, to constantly stay ready is to keep short accounts with God and with others. Listen, folks, this is the reality. There's sin in your life. There's sin in my life. This is the reality. People have offended you and you have offended others. But keep short accounts. The scripture says we should confess our sin. One of the things I do often is I just repent. You know why I repent often? Because I fail often, just like you. So keep short accounts with God and with others. I think a third thing that's really significant is that we would live a life of humility. You want to live in a constant state of readiness? Commit to a life of humility. Humility for me is this, serving God and serving others. And the fourth thing I do to just constantly live in readiness is, is I live every day like it could be my last. In other words, I don't want to miss an opportunity. I live my life wide open. I don't want to have any regrets. So the scripture says we should live in a constant state of readiness. I think a third thing we should do, because no one knows the time or hour, we should be aggressively sharing the gospel message. 
I once heard, one, heard someone say, they said, you know, when the rapture comes, I'm going to find two unbelievers. I'm going to grab one on the right and one on the left by, by the collar of their shirt. And as I'm going up through the air, I'm going to look at them and say, wouldn't you like to receive Jesus or do you want me to let go? <laughs> but to live with this, a constant, a constant understanding that, folks, one of these days, there's, no, there's not going to be time for anyone to make a decision. One of these days when Jesus returns, it's going to be too late. So it, that, that alone should motivate us to share the gospel. Listen, folks, there's people who are dying and going to hell every day. And you know some of them. You know their names. Maybe some of them are your family members. The fact that Jesus could return today should motivate us to, to sharing our faith, to telling others, about Jesus. Thirdly, Jesus Christ's return will be joy for those who have chosen to follow him, but it'll be pain and heartache for those who have rejected him. Joy for those who have chosen Christ, heartache for those who have rejected him. John 3.36 says, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. Listen, to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior prepares you for eternal life. It makes you ready for the rapture. John 1.12 says, Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world, he sent his only Son, and whoever would believe in the Son would have this eternal life. So to accept Jesus Christ is eternal life. To reject Jesus Christ is eternal death. Listen, folks. Your eternal destiny is determined by how you respond to Jesus. It's this thing that you want to be certain of, that Jesus is your Savior. Listen, there's at least two uncertainties in life. The first is this, will you live tomorrow? Will you live to see tomorrow? Listen, the obituary today is full of people who thought they were going to live today. But they're not living today because they're dead today. Listen, folks. You're not guaranteed tomorrow. Life is so uncertain. The second uncertainty that we find revealed in Scripture this morning is when Jesus is going to come back. And we don't know. That's an uncertainty. He will come back. For me, that's a settled issue. But the when, we don't know. So why not be ready? Why not live life ready? So life or death, it's really your choice. But listen, there will come a day there will come a day when it's too late to make the decision. So why not choose Jesus? Say, listen, your eternity hinges on what you do with Jesus Christ. So what do, we have, what do we have to look forward to? Thinking of the rapture, thinking of beyond the rapture, thinking of heaven. I love what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. Paul says that no eye is seen, no ear is heard, no mind is conceived. The wonder of what God has prepared for those who love him. So what do we have to look forward to? I think heaven is going to involve at least three things for us. First, heaven's going to be a place of reward. Scripture makes that very clear. We're saved by grace. It's a free gift to us. But listen, you'll be rewarded according to what you have done. Revelations 22, 12, Jesus talks about, I'm coming soon, and I'm bringing a reward with me, and I'm going to reward every individual according to what they have done. So heaven's going to be first a place of reward. Second, I'm convinced heaven's going to be a place of rejoicing. It's going to be a place that's full of joy. Why? Because 
there's not going to be the presence of sin. There's not going to be the reality of sin or the results of sin. It's going to be a place of, of rejoicing, no sorrow, no tears. Literally, I'm convinced that heaven's going to be a place of reunion. I'm often asked, Pastor, when I get to heaven, will I know, will I recognize others? And I believe the answer to that's yes. I mean, when Jesus came back after being resurrected and he appeared to the disciples, the disciples didn't have to say, oh, who are you? Did they? No, they, they immediately recognized who Jesus was. Mount of Transfiguration. Moses and Elijah came down talking with Jesus. Peter, James, and John, they didn't have to say, Jesus, who's hanging out with you? They, they quickly knew that it was Moses and Elijah. So I believe heaven's going to be a place of reward. Scripture says heaven's going to be a place of rejoicing. And heaven is going to be a place of reunion. I've asked my friend Marty to come and share a song with us. And after he concludes this song, then I want to come back and conclude the message this morning. Marty, would you come? Those 
Hallelujah. Praise your Lord. We've got a great day ahead of us, don't we? Heaven is a prepared place for prepared people. Um, the scripture is very clear, again in John 14, Jesus went for this purpose, to prepare a place for us. That's finished. It's settled. He prepared a place for us, again, by the giving of his life, by shedding his blood. The question is, this morning, have you prepared yourself? Are you ready? How do you prepare yourself? It's real simple. You simply open your heart to God's grace. You simply open your life. Say, Lord Jesus, I recognize today that, that I need you. And if you were to come today, I recognize that I'm not ready. Because I've not opened my life to you. I've not received you as my Lord and Savior. That's how you prepare yourself. Heaven is a prepared place. Prepared by Christ for those who have prepared themselves. Again, it's not something we earn. It's not something we have to work for. We simply receive that of God's free gift to us. A gift of life. A gift of relationship with him and the promise of eternity. One of my favorite stories, true stories, told of the famous scientist and professor. His name is Albert Einstein. Albert Einstein was on his way to a destination. He was going to the destination by train. And the conductor came down the aisle and he was picking up tickets. Came to Albert Einstein. Albert Einstein's looking all over for his ticket. Can't find his ticket anywhere. The conductor says, Mr. Einstein, it's okay. You're a famous guy. Everyone knows who you are. It's okay. You, you don't need to give me your ticket. Conductor goes on down, picking up the rest of the tickets. And when he looks back, here's Albert Einstein down on his hands and knees. He's crawling around on the floor, searching for his ticket. Conductor comes back, helps him up, says, Mr. Einstein, really? Really? It's, it's okay. You don't need a ticket. We know who you are. You're a famous man. I love what Albert Einstein said. He says, I know who I am too, but I don't know where I'm going. <laughs> My question to you this morning is simply this. Do you know where you're going? Listen, folks, it's settled in God's word. Jesus Christ is coming again. We've seen it. We read it. We've talked about it. My question to you simply today is, do you know where you're going? Would you pray with me? Lord, I thank you this morning for, for just the challenge of your word and the encouragement of your word. God, I thank you for, Lord, what we have to look forward to. Oh, Lord, may we ever live with a, an expectant heart, with a heart that's ready before you. And, Lord, may, may the urgency of your return motivate us to share the wonder of your loving grace with family and friends, folks we work with. But Lord, what I understand from your word today is that heaven is a prepared place for those who have prepared their hearts, for those who have made ready. And Lord, we thank you that you've made a way for us through the cross. All we have to do is open our lives to you today. And Lord, we come, we come to ask this question. Do we know where we're going? With every head bowed and eye closed this morning, I posed that simple question to you. Albert Einstein's problem is this.